Revenge. We will kill the son of our jailer. Revenge. Revenge. And now we're cooking, huh? All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best. You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcasting. Yep. All right. Ready. And with that familiar music, you know you are listening to the podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ken Mills, and... I'm Gary Schaller. Today we are joined by the ever-hairy Matt Porter. BJ What's up, Kramp, Kiss Army? BJ Cramp. Hello, hello. And Chris Sinzak. How's it going? And the other Chris, Chris Karam. Howdy. So we're talking about revenge today. Glad everyone is here to talk about a record that uh, I think reinvigorated the Kiss Army to a great extent. I think we'll all be talking a lot about the impact that this record had on sort of the faith that fans had in Kiss, particularly after um, the 1980s and and so on. Of course, that is Revenge. Mm -hmm. It's been one of our most requested shows. Seven years we've been doing this and people have been wanting to hear more about our thoughts on Revenge and talking about that record in depth. Uh, and I and I I know for me I have a lot to say about it. That was a that was a really important record for me uh, at a at a time when I really needed a great Kiss record. Mm-hmm. How would you rate the album just overall, Chris Sinzak? I absolutely love this album, and I know some people think it's overrated. I'm sure some people that are with us today think it's overrated. <laughs> but uh, in my opinion, I think it's one of the best non-makeup albums they ever put out, and one of the best albums they put out. But also. I have to temper that by saying this was the second Kiss album I bought after Hot in the Shade, so I have a definite bias because I was about 14 years old when this came out, so mm. or 14 to 15, and I th- I was into seeing them at the time live, and it was so. This album holds a special place in my heart. I remember getting it on CD when it came out and listening to it just over and over again on my little Walkman. Love this album. Okay, Chris Karam, what are your overall thoughts on Revenge? Overall, I think it's great. Uh, Hot in the Shade kind of left me going, This, I think they're done, you know, they, there's just nothing here. And in the months preceding this release, uh, there was a lot of interviews where they were saying it's a return to form, they were working with Bob Ezrin again, and there's a lot of hype and a lot of this and that. And when I got it, in my opinion, it lived up to the hype. And I agree with Chris, it's definitely one of the best uh, non-makeup albums, probably the best non-makeup album and one of the best records Kiss has ever done. It's just a great return to form, and they're firing on all cylinders this time. Matt? I'm going to agree. I mean, I'm going to say, again, it's one of my favorites. I think it does depend where you were at at the time. I was about 24 years old. This is, it's a, I think it's a kind of a sexy, dirty album. It makes, you know, Gene's singing in the voice of the devil right off the bat. It's what I was looking for at the time, and uh, I think it still holds up as one of the best non-makeup Kiss albums that's out there. And because we need to, our, our fans are telling us that we need to have somebody that disagrees with everything else on the show. So, BJ, what do you think about Revenge? Yeah, I guess I'm the odd man out here. Yeah, I'm the person who thinks it's way overrated. Might be my least favorite non-makeup album, so probably one of my least favorite Kiss albums, period. So, and uh, so, so you like Hot in the Shade better than this? Yeah, I already I had the guts to say that on the last oh, episode. God so. bless you. Or <laughs> the insanity. Um, I understand that it's better production, better guitar sounds, stuff like that. But for what for me, what it comes down to is the songs, and I just don't think the songs are better. That's just my opinion. 
Well, well, you know, for the guy on the Kiss Fact who wrote that podcast is unfair and unbalanced, look, we have something <laughs> of everything for you today, okay? You're wrong, Matt Porter. <laughs> well, you know, we, we, we put out an ad for kiss haters but nobody replied so it's tough to you know yeah well look when revenge came out i was 18 i think and kiss were my favorite band they've been my favorite band pretty much my whole life i bought this record the day it came out but you know my favorite stuff for the non-makeup kiss it was always the paul stanley songs those are the main songs that i loved through the 80s and i just don't think paul came through on this album Wow, very interesting. I, th- I think Vinnie Vincent came through on this album, but we'll get to that. <laughs> Vinnie Vincent saved revenge. Um, anyway, there were rumors that the album would be called Destroyer 2. Paul addressed those rumors. I didn't mean that we were going to deliver Son of Destroyer. I was talking about the amount of care and time that we put into it, the commitment to the material, and the standards we're, we set for ourselves. Okay, um, can I interject something? Sure. So, there's a video on YouTube where Gene and Paul are promoting Crazy Nights, Uh and they compare it with Destroyer. They do it with every album. I have a magazine that came out when Hot in the Shade came out, that Metal Edge put out, about Hot in the Shade, where Gene and Paul compare Hot in the Shade to Destroyer. Uh So there was nothing unusual about them comparing a record to Destroyer. They did it over and over. Right. And also... Can anyone explain to me how there's any similarity between these two albums, between Destroyer and Revenge? Because I don't see it in any way. Well, Bob, Ezrin. Bob Ezrin, that's the first well, thing. Yeah, it's the same guy produced it, but there's right. absolutely no similarity I that I can find. No, I don't view it as Destroyer 2. I don't think it sounds anything like Destroyer, but that's what I love about it. I'm not a huge fan of Destroyer, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think yeah, you know, Destroyer is probably my least favorite '70s Kiss album, and I also think Destroyer is overrated. So I guess that's what Destroyer and Revenge have in common. <laughs> There's a fake fact that the background vocals on uh, "God Gave Rock and Roll to You" it's the same choir from Destroyer, but they're all grown up. You can't tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they wear the dashikis too. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, let's listen to the first track. Unholy, a little bit of that right now. Here's a song called Unholy! Thank you. 
know it's hot. So let's discuss Unholy. Gary, what are your thoughts on Unholy? Unholy sold the record to me and brought me back to Kiss in a huge way that, I mean, it was inevitable. I never really left the Kiss Army, and I was always a fan. And uh, it excited me in ways that uh, records by Kiss had not excited me for just about a decade. Um, when I, I saw the video premiere on MTV um, and that grainy sepia tone, whatever, black and white video, uh, Gene with the you know, kind of gritty hair and goatee and uh, the band back in black leather, um, dark imagery, sort of satanic, evil kind of uh, stuff, right? Um, and such a heavy, heavy song um, made a huge impact on me. I, do, you, Ken, do you remember, um, I mean, I guess everyone here probably had one at some point. There were those little tape recorders that had a handle and they had the like whatever five or six buttons and the little tape deck and then the one speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. I I waited for that video to replay uh the next time it played on MTV and I grabbed whatever tape I could find and I slammed it in there and I recorded like I held it up to the to the speaker of the television and recorded that song. And I had this crappy tape of Unholy and I played the the heck out of that on my little Walkman. Um, and this was senior year of, uh, of high school. And I, it just blew me away. Great song. BJ, what are your thoughts on Unholy? Unholy is a very cool song. I like it a lot. And I remember, you know, seeing the video on Headbangers Ball before the album came out. And, yeah, it was pretty exciting. You know, I, I was a person who really liked all of Kiss's stuff in the 80s pretty much. So I wasn't looking for them to, you know, redeem themselves or some return to form. But... It's a really cool song, and I know I, I'm sure I was very excited when I saw the video for the album, and then very disappointed subsequently. Matt, love it. It's heavy. It, like I said in the start, it's Gene singing in the voice of the devil. You know, we have the demon now singing from the point of view of the devil. Uh, it's one. It's a really good angry song when you're not in a particularly good mood. I think uh, it fits perfect. One thing, I mean, obviously for me, a memory that I have tied to this song was they had that contest where you had to make a video for the song. That was exciting. I think about that. If you look over, I have that video posted online. It's hysterical now to look at it. We, I, you know, thank God for the internet. I actually was able to find the person who won that contest. He posted his video. This guy, Mike Keller, um, actually won that contest. I tie it closely to this time, you know, uh, 1992, and, and this was a... I think it was a great way to start the album. I really love the song. Chris Sinzak. Oh, well, this, I mean, this song, in my opinion, shows the songwriting brilliance of uh, Vinnie Vincent and Gene Simmons when they get together. Because, I mean, they, these two, when they get together, they turn out some really good songs. And I, and this is, this is one of the best Kiss songs ever written, in my opinion. And I mean, and I, as uh, BJ mentioned, I remember when the video came out. And I, well, actually, I remember my friend telling me when the video came out because he saw the premiere of it before I did. Uh -huh. And he was, uh, I remember him t him calling me up and going, "You are not going to believe what the new Kiss song sounds like." Because he was, he hated Kiss. He thought they were cheesy and corny. He was into Anthrax, Nuclear Assault, and stuff like that. And he's like, "Dude, the whole the new Kiss album sounds amazing." And I was like, "If you're saying that, I have to hear this." And when it came out, when I actually got to see the video, I was blown away by it. I mean, I was still hurting from, you know, Eric Carr and everything, but it was definitely a, a welcome pick-me-up after that. I was, because I was worried about the band after Eric died. I was thinking, I don't know how, you know, what they're going to sound like after this with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
Eric Singer certainly proved himself with it. It's a great song, and the solo is totally awesome, and Bruce Kulick deserves a lot of credit for that solo. Absolutely. Gene says that parts of the songs were based on Wicked Lester's Keep Me Waiting. Does anyone hear that at all? Really? What? (laughs) They didn't even write Keep Me Waiting either, I don't think. Am I right? Yeah. I, don't think, I think Keep Me Waiting wasn't even written by the guy from Wicked Lester. Was that one of the Barry Mann songs? Maybe. That's insane. <laughs> I've never read that, but... I, I, heard, say, I heard it was based on Beth. <laughs> <laughs> That's Beth after the divorce. Unholy was the first Gene Simmons written single, A-Side, in nearly ten years. According to Gene, the song was based on parts of Wicked Lester's Keep Me Waiting. Wow. Unless there's a horn line that they muted later. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't hear that. Chris Karam? When I first heard this song, it was the first indication that, okay, this could be something really special. This could be something really great. And, of course, it was. One of the things I remember reading, it was an interview with Bruce Kulick around the time this album was released, and Bruce said that he loved that Bob Bezrin pushed Gene and Paul around. That he just wouldn't let, you know, he'd tell them, do that again, or that's not good enough. And, of course, he pushed Bruce around, too, but I guess after all those years of, you know, Gene and Paul producing or calling the shots, he was... It was, you know, nice for him to see that happening, and I and I truly think on this album that Bruce Kulick came into his own as a Kiss guitar player. Not not that he hadn't played well on the previous albums, but on this album, I just felt like, okay, Bruce is firmly a member of this band now. You know, he's not a replacement for Mark or for Ace. He's the man. It says here, Bob challenged Bruce during the recording of this album to play with far more aggression. According to Bruce, our producer pulled a real psychological trick on me when it came time to record my leads. He told me he wanted to do a solo for my balls without any pre-planned fancy stuff and then informed me that he didn't think I could do it. I'll tell you, that got me so mad, it lit a huge fire under my ass, which is exactly what I wanted to happen. It is exactly what he wanted to happen. If you listen, you won't hear any two-handed tapping tricks on Revenge. I just found a suitably nasty tone for each solo and went straight for the throat. So, that's pretty cool. It sums that up. video was a real departure as far as kiss videos i feel that this is the the closest that that this and i love it loud are the closest to kiss showing what they are does that make any sense yeah i would agree with that those those two videos are the closest to summing up kiss i think that a lot of people love this album more for the image than for the actual music at times I mean, I see where you're going with that because I know. Well, the band tried to play up that too. I mean, they they made no bones about of here we are, we're Kiss, and we look tough again. And I mean, they that was that was a huge marketing point, I'm right. sure, because they were wanting to fit in with the changing times, and it worked. But um, 
you know, there were certain things about the look and image that didn't come off genuine also. Such as? Like Gene wearing an earring? Well, yeah, that and, well, and Paul, because honestly, I think Paul enjoyed the glammy look of the 80s. He was able to pull off that image, but the rest of the guys, not so much. But I don't think Paul really 100% felt like he should be wearing a, a shirt with the F word on it and stuff. Well, yeah, obviously, obviously, the 1992 was a very different atmosphere. You know, this right. was post post Nirvana, Pearl Jam, everything. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, their change in image was influenced by that. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't think they could have dressed like that and done, uh, you know, Prisoner of Love or um, Hide Your Heart and had the same impact. I I, I disagree. You think you think you think the look really? You think it was one of those things like with Look It Up? You know, Paul talks about people listen with their eyes. You think that that had a big impact? Absolutely, and I also think that Prisoner of Love, had it been on Revenge, would have been one of the better songs on Revenge. If, I I mentioned that song only because I really like it, by the way. Right, and if if it were produced by Bob Ezrin instead mm-hmm. of a demo, so. Well, I'll tell you what. I think that the look had a lot to do with it, but you know, um, as we've as we've talked about many times, and as has been documented by the band and others, uh, Revenge didn't have much of an impact commercially, financially. It wasn't what you'd call a successful record in in most terms. However, I know for me, um, I was never turned off to Kiss, even when they looked kind of like every other band in the 80s. And, um, but I didn't rush out to stores to get Hot in the Shade. It was, that wasn't really much of a blip on, on the radar for me when that record came out. But on the other when hand, I, Kiss was not on that cover. There was no. nothing that really screamed Kiss from that. Right, and there wasn't... And, you know, when you saw the inside of... Uh, hot in the shade and the picture of them with the sunglasses it's a cool picture I, I i appreciate it now but it doesn't feel connected to the kiss of the 1970s that kind of badass dark you know black and white band but musically i think was uh it was such a quantum leap in a, in the right direction matt any thoughts well you know i think that's that's exactly it i think in a lot of ways this album goes a little darker and a little heavier and they're definitely trying to shed pink and bright yellow and green and all the colors that we had through the uh through that era of kiss and i think you know i don't necessarily think that it's fans gravitate toward it just because of the image but i think the image does reflect they're trying to go a little heavier they're also trying to maybe get away from being kind of cleaned up in a way like they're they are being a little more uh, aggressive no keyboards as much you know what i mean like that kind of thing i think that's really where really where you do see the difference in the and the image does reflect i think what they were going for at that time i thought it was cool i mean our for some reason i remember being struck by eric singer standing up during part of the video and and hitting <laughs> the drums and then the image of the kids you know running around in a circle and so it's a great video i mean it's even for its time it's it's not. It's not really necessarily dated. It's just a very well done kind of artsy video, but it makes you know makes the band look great and totally serves its purpose. It's no turn on the night, but it's great. Well, it was. <laughs> it, it was. It was very bizarre seeing Kiss with a uh, blonde drummer, though. Yeah, I remember that was a big deal to fans at the time. Yeah. I'll tell strange. you one thing though. He really gave that band a kick in the butt. I mean, I remember when I first listened to Revenge, thinking, "Wow, this guy's good." Yeah, and I really think it just revitalized the band at a time when you know they were coming out of the, you know, hot in the shade, and then Eric Carr passing away, and here they were kind of restating their purpose or rebooting or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. One of the things we were kind of discussing a little bit before we started recording, the band was 
using the F word quite a lot. It seemed like they uh, couldn't couldn't do a show without <laughs> saying fuck. And I always felt it was kind of disingenuous to see Paul Stanley flipping off a camera and he's actually pointing to the middle finger. So he's got the middle <laughs> finger up over here and he's pointing to the middle finger. It's like, yeah, we don't we we, we didn't we didn't pick up on that, Paul. So <laughs> it's kind he of went bizarre. from he went from sucking on his middle finger to sticking it out at people. Yeah, there you go. Gene would wear those shirts that would say fuck censorship and it would be covered up with tape. <laughs> <laughs> So, That's where Alanis Morissette got the inspiration to write Ironic. <laughs> so the next track is Take It Off. Matt Porter, what do you think about Take It Off? I love it as a salute to all those great performance artists who have uh, thrilled us at some time or another. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think a lot of time this song does, uh, it depends how old you are. I think at some point, like I said, I was about 24. Strip clubs uh, maybe were a little more fun at the time. You get to the point where now I worry more that I'll see one of my students dance out on the stage and uh, that would be uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, I think uh, it, in a way it's uh, it reminds, it makes you think of what are some of the best strip club songs, you know? You know, if, if we're gonna if we go by the idea that Paul went down to the strip club and he got to hear some kiss while you know uh, everybody was dancing around, might not be a bad thing. But uh, I think it's one of those things that it's where you're at at the time. You know how much uh, you want to think about uh, the fantasy versus the reality of a strip club. Or uh, but we do salute all those performance artists and everything they do to to rock and roll their audience. Gary, your thoughts on Take It Off? Um. You know, this is Paul's sort of intro on the record, and I think it's a. I think at the time I, I really enjoyed it. Now I can't hear it without thinking of Psycho Circus. I think it's. it's they're such it's constructed very similarly, um, in terms of that slow build up and then the scream, the yeah, and and the even the chord progression and the drum pattern are very similar to the beginning of, uh, of Psycho Circus. Uh-huh. Um, it was. It was good to have Kiss be lascivious again. And I think that there's a reason why it didn't hold up past, um, you know, past the mid '90s. It's not a song that that gets a lot of attention past then. I don't think it's. I think it's somewhat unremarkable. That's my opinion. Chris Karam. You know, I like the song musically, but when I listen to it now, I feel it's. I I kind of agree with Matt. I feel like kind of lyrically, it's kind of cheesy and almost like Paul is kind of trying too hard to sort of, you know as an ode to, you know, strip joints and all that kind of thing. I mean, I was kind of in the same boat as Matt at that time, you know, strip joints were kind of cool, and now I'm in a different point in my life, and they don't really have the same appeal. Um, but, you know, like I said, musically, it's a very good song. And, and uh, you know, Kevin, and of course, as it's, it's become known in the last years, Kevin Valentine actually plays the drums on this track, uh-huh. which I, I, they must have recorded it after Eric Singer had finished his parts and gone off to tour with uh, Alice Cooper. Uh-huh. So... You know, I, I would say it's a good song, but there's, like any you know Kiss album from the non-makeup era, there's always a little bit of cheese on it. <laughs> Chris Sinzak. Well, there's cheese on everything in Kiss's career. That's kind of what makes them That's great. True. I mean, there's <laughs> they wrote a song called "Ladies Room" for God's sake. I mean, mm-hmm. it was I, I I this came out as I said when I was a teenager, right in the throes of puberty, and I loved everything about this song when it came <laughs> out. So uh, I especially loved the live version of the song. Yeah. Um, but no, I think it's a it's a killer song. It's one of the better. I think it's a great. It's one of those songs that still keeps them connected to their '80s sound, but 
is also it's a little bit more adventurous musically because it's got that little breakdown in the music in the middle of the song and stuff and it's it's sleazier a little bit more than a crazy night song which is a little bit more polished so i think it's kind of like it's kind of like what crazy nights probably should have sounded like with more of a stripped down production Hmm. bj yeah i don't like the song very much i think um i think it's pretty dumb i'm a huge fan of paul stanley's songwriting of course and you know, if I would rank this song against many of his songs from the '80s, I think it's far inferior. So as, it's, as, a, it's, as well it's, as so far as a written song, I just think it's kind of dumb and it's not it doesn't have a great hook. It's not as generic. High, it's not as highbrow as uh, "All Night." <laughs> <laughs> Nothing could aspire well, to that. I don't think it's any more highbrow than uh, "All Night." I, no, you know, it's more well performed though. But it's certainly a song like. Uh, who wants to be lonely or I'll fight hell to hold you or silver spoon. Those songs kick this song's ass in my opinion. So, and you know, the whole narrative that revenge was some return to form or they regain their artistic integrity. Well, take a look at this song, <laughs> you know, the, it's, it's produced differently, but otherwise it could fit on any song from the, any album from the eighties. I agree with you there. Maybe not the elder. Yeah. I mean, any non makeup. <laughs> album. And take off your armor. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, they could they could have just you know put Take this in off. the elf and Armor. made up whatever part of the story it signified. Well, Kiss Confidential was pretty darn cool, and the uh, live version of this is definitely something that I enjoyed checking out back in the day. <laughs> and I'll just let it go at that. <laughs> this one's called. Take it all, 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 take it all
The next song is Tough Love. Chris Sinzak, take that one. This one was kind of a grower on me. I didn't necessarily, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't love it at first. Um, it was it was one that I typically skipped over because you know Take It Off had such a good pace to it, and then this one was a little bit more. I don't know. This is definitely more, in my opinion, of a filler track than anything. But it's one of those I go back to pretty often because I kind of got sick of the singles after a while. I just burned myself out on them after so many listens. That this one, uh, it's got a really good attitude to it. It's it's good. It's, I, this is a good showcase for Bruce, but not necessarily one of the best songs on the album. It's Kiss revisiting their BD, BDSM, sadomasochism uh, roots, Ooh. I guess. I don't know. Uh, this that, that song could have been the soundtrack to those, um, what was her name? Megan Megan McCracken, the lovely Megan McCracken. The lovely and talented Megan McCracken. Uh, that, could, that song could be the soundtrack to those, um, those photographs in terms of its subject matter. In terms of the music of it, though, it's, I don't know, sounds like a, it sounds like it could be a Motley Crue or an Aerosmith song to me. Oh, interesting. I don't know. Okay. I, I, you know, look, you have those two Paul songs back-to-back after Unholy, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it's not just that I'm such a big fan of Gene, although that's a huge part of it, but to me it's sort of this, you get this Gene song with this dark sound, probably something to do with um, Vinny's influence that you get that, I don't know, it's a uh, tritone, I think. Um, and it's sounds you haven't heard since Lick It Up. And then, and, and it's evil, it's dark, it's brooding, it's, it's unholy, right? And then you get these two, I don't know, fairly pedestrian Paul Stanley songs, one in a row, or, or two in a row, rather, one after the other. And it, to me, it kills a little bit of the momentum of the record. Matt? Yeah, I like this song. I think, you know, it, I mean, yeah, maybe not the best song on the album, but I think it continues with the vibe of the album. I mean, we have, like, Gene singing as the devil, then we have an ode to strippers, now we got rough sex, and the girl's rolling her eyes if he tries to be too nice, you know, and that sounds like a fun time. So, uh, you know, not a bad soundtrack, and uh, and uh, I'll go with it. Chris Karam. I've been listening to this song for over 20 years, and it wasn't until it was pointed out on History Science Theater that this and... Um, Heart of Chrome are essentially the same song, or they share a similar riff. And it just, I can't believe that I had, you know, like I said, 20 years and it took listening to another podcast to point it out to me. For a Bob Ezrin production, this is stripped down. I mean, when you compare it to Destroyer and the Elder, I mean, granted, it's, it's the production is definitely better than Hot in the Shade or a lot of the 80s stuff, but by Bob Ezrin standards, this is a lot rougher and a lot rawer. And I wonder if that was intentional, like if it was Bob's way of kind of atoning for 
past sins and that past sin being the elder because you know in interviews around this time he he was saying he was saying too that you know the elder was a mistake and i should have been shot for it i was doing a lot of drugs and all this kind of stuff so Hmm. bj i think it's a terrible song yeah i mean i think the chorus is laughable (laughs) give me look that's just awful that's what ruins the song I'm i'm a huge fan of paul stanley's songwriting but I think the difference with Paul's songs on Revenge, most of them, is they're riff-based. Like, the riff came first, especially in a song like this. Whereas a song like Who Wants to Be Lonely was constructed around a melody, maybe started with a chorus. Right. And there was just, there were completely different goals when he wrote Who Wants to Be Lonely and when he wrote this song. You know, this song is a melody put put over some riffs, and like I said, I think the chorus is laughably bad. It's just terrible. Yeah, I don't like this song at all. No, don't be shy. <laughs> Bruce Kulick played bass on this track. It's an okay song. It doesn't really uh, light me up. You mentioned Paul's song not Paul's songs not being all that strong on this album, and was it was nice to have something that wasn't Crazy Nights, if you will. Yeah, it's it's not a great song by any stretch in my mind. It was interesting that didn't they use it on ABC uh, to promote some cop shows? Really? Yes, I, I have no memory of that. I remember TV was on, and all of a sudden I heard, Gimme Tough Love. And I'm like, what is Kiss on TV for? And ABC was uh, promoting some cop show. So it was it cop rock? It might have been, for all I know. For all I know. That's what oh, that was wow. a memory I didn't need brought back. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, our next song... Apart from being notorious for its use of the spinal tapish lyric, the bigger the cushion, the better the push in the song would be Gene's humorous look at what could almost be described as sexual addiction. Uh, the song is called Spit. I actually kind of like this. I like that Bruce does the uh, Star Spangled Banner on there. And uh, it's a pretty interesting track. Chris Sinzak, would you take it? Here's my here's my big negative review on the album. This song sucks, in my opinion. I... <laughs> It's laughably bad. It's the the everything about this song is generic and ripped off from something else. Mm-hmm. This this was Gene totally going, I'm gonna mail it in today and do this. And even <laughs> Bruce goes, I'm gonna mail in the solo. It's it's a horrible song. And this is one of those songs where if you're a KISS fan and you were around a non KISS fan, this is one of the last songs you would ever play for them. Wow. That's why because I, I think the Star Spangled Banner part always... I remember playing this at parties and stuff. People would be like, oh, that's really cool. Of course, they were drunk. So, anyhow. Gary, your thoughts on Spit? I feel like as the two Paul songs sort of dulled the momentum of the album, this brought it back for me. You get, once again, Gene, in, in all of his uh, demonic glory... Um, it's nice to have the shared lead vocals by Gene and Paul. I mean, I, there aren't too many Kiss songs that I could think of that have that and when they do it's usually uh, something that I really enjoy and this is no exception I love the attitude on this song there's a real groove to it um, great guitar playing by Bruce Kulick just just slamming guitar playing uh, the band sounds super tight uh, very heavy lots of attitude love it hmm. what do you think about the fact that uh, they didn't say shit instead of spit um, I think it's I think it's uh, repeated on side two when they don't say fuck. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you, they more than made up for that in concert. I, I know I've discussed this on, on earlier podcasts, but um, it was like every other 
word out of Paul's mouth was the F-bomb when I saw them on this tour. Yeah, and there's that picture of Paul uh, giving the finger and pointing at it. Yeah, here it is. And uh, they would wear shirts that said fuck, but they'd have tape over. Yes, yes, not suitable for work. I got to say, Paul really sings like a monster on the on Revenge. I mean, I'm just thinking about Spit and... and uh, take it off and uh, tough love and his voice is just slamming it more than his voice though it's the attitude behind it so much I mean so much authority there really great and it's cool to see Gene and Paul switching off on vocals a little bit I, it's one of the things I've always loved about Kiss was the interchange between the, the vocals it, it's it's one of the things that delights me about the song take me down below yeah yeah I agree mm-hmm. Matt Porter you know look yeah this song I think because, like you said, the spinal tap ishness of the lyrics, and you know, everybody kind of looks at it as well. Maybe you know, obviously, it's um, you know, not maybe some of the finest songwriting, but but you know what, I like the incentive so much of the song. You know, obviously, uh, fat bottom girls, you make my rock and world go round. Uh, it's not a bad way Amen. to start the day. And uh, you know, if you want to, you know, all the best roller coasters have big curves and a lot of movement. So it's like uh, I'm going. <laughs> I'll go with every cliche I can find. I like it. If, I, if I'm if i driving the car, I'll crank this one up. And uh, I, I like the imagery that I paint in my mind, maybe more than you guys like the song. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's, uh, you know, hey. BJ? Yeah, this would be a shocker, but I think it's a terrible song. <laughs> um, the podcast. I can, imagine, unfair, I can unfair. imagine myself when I first put this album on, when I first got it, and hearing Tough Love and this, and then just thinking, oh, shit. But, uh <laughs> You know, yeah, the fact that Gene actually used the Spinal Tap lyrics making fun of him and didn't know that they were Spinal Tap lyrics, according to Gene, he, he said he didn't know. Um, well, so there's worse. there's a bit of irony there, but I read somewhere Bruce Felix said that the lyrics of this song went through a dozen rewrites, which... Um, what? <laughs> God, I hate to hear that what was the first probably 11. in one of the Kissback books. That is hilarious. Um, yeah, this is a horrible song, in my opinion. Hmm. Wow. Um, Chris Karam. Can you say Led Zeppelin? You know, I, I give... Um, this to me is like a Led Zeppelin homage with uh, this, you know Jimi Hendrix being referenced during the solo. You know what? This song is cheesy, and it's all, it's all the things that all you guys have said, but you know what? I love it. It's just a fun song to me. And it's definitely, like I said, it's definitely Led Zeppelin because the, the riff and then the, you know, the whole lot of woman thing in the middle... And, of course, the, the funny thing about the Spinal Tap thing was that a few months later when uh, KISS was doing their revenge tour, they were playing Worcester, 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 Massachusetts. Worcester. And there was an article in the local paper that week, and it was an interview with Gene, and, he, and they said, well, you know, they were talking about the makeup and why they took it off. He said, well, you know, we didn't want to become like Spinal Tap and that kind of thing. Uh-huh. And then a few paragraphs later, he talks about how they're going to blow up the Statue of Liberty on stage. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I just thought, well, there's your Spinal Tap moment. Uh, but, you know, getting back to the song, it, you got to give them credit. At least they didn't say shit, you know, because it don't mean spit to them. Right. But I like Absolutely. it. It's fun. And, you know, I, I, could, I could see why people don't like it, though, you know, because obviously we just had uh, some very fair and balanced commentary on that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know but that's going to be a catchphrase throughout the whole episode. They didn't, they didn't use shit because the uh, <laughs> alternate titles were actually Duck and Swallow, and, and this they didn't make the cut. So. <laughs> That's Accor- great. 
According to Gene, the song does have a message. It doesn't say, look how big my cock is. It says, I need a whole lot of woman to keep me satisfied. It's in keeping with rock and roll traditions that go back to good golly Miss Molly. That's from Hit Parader, 1992. Wasn't some of this song recycled from Mongoloid Man, one of yes. his like, 70s demos? Yeah. What Gene song isn't recycled from his They're 70s all recycled. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gene's... He, he goes green. He wants money, and he recycles, so there he you go. He goes green. That's great. <laughs> At least he's consistent. I've been recycling for many years now. At least he's consistent. We need to do a Gene Simmons recycling commercial for my show. Yeah. I swear to God. <laughs> I swear to God, on this show, we need to do an, um, an interview with not Gene Simmons. Mm. Not today. Uh, <laughs> Hi, this is Bruce Kulik, and you're listening to Podkiss, the best. Okay, our next track is God Gave Rock and Roll to You 2. Gary, what are your thoughts on God Gave Rock and Roll to You 2? I really like it. Um, it, it still kind of chokes me up a little when you hear Eric Carr's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think it's, I think it's just a lovely song, and, and yeah, they did, I, I think they did a great job with it. It's it feels a little out of place on on the record a little bit, um, but you need I, I think you need some breathing room or you need some dynamics on on a record to make it work and this made it work. Right. It was great live in concert. It was great in '92 and I loved it again in 2004. And 2010. Oh, that's did they play that again in 2000? They, yeah, did, they did, didn't they? You're right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I, it, I think it holds up nicely in concert. Yeah, it was a it was a highlight of that show for me. Cool. Matt Porter. You know, way better than the Argent version, which has you not stepping on snails and uh, you know flying around like a unicorn or something like that. I don't know, <laughs> but the uh, I think you know what. In a way, it's it's funny how this song breaks from the album to this point. It's been kind of dirty and gritty and and maybe a lot of cheesy, and then this one tries to present a whole different positive picture. I think I always liked the song because I liked the fact that it really did say you know it's an appreciation of the fact that we have this music that we love. Like, where does it come from? How does somebody write these songs? Does it come from somewhere else? I mean, who knows? I liked it. I'll, the one thing I always think about was when the video for this came out and when they get to that, the first shot where they start the chorus and all of a sudden the huge logo comes up. Uh-huh. And I remember there's times where that moves me to tears. I mean, cause it has meant so much to me over the years and and you feel like you know it it is a gift like when he at the end and he says well who likes the sound of rock and roll music he's preaching to the choir like and i so i feel like there's days where the sentiment of that and the whole idea of wow we're just lucky to be able to have all this fun that we have you know hey look you can you can say what you want it's maybe is it too cheesy is it too uh you know uh go to work you know you got to work for your dreams people rip on them about that i think it's a nice positive song uh i'll crank it up every time it comes on chris Karam. well at least they didn't subtitle it electric boogaloo <laughs> when, this, when this song came out uh, the year before revenge i remember it, it was on the bill and ted soundtrack mm-hmm. i remember hearing it and thinking wow this could be on destroyer i mean it just you know it, of course you know bob ezrin was back and everything and I just I, I think it's a great song. I love it. It's it's you know, of course it's corny in spots, but you know what? It's a it's a really good song, and it does have Eric Carr on it on I believe on the 
the vocals on the, that midsection, that sort of Beach Boys type breakdown where they're mm-hmm. just going, you know, wake up, baby, and it's it's a really good song, and it you know I'm glad they put it on Revenge. You know, it's it's a remixed version, but um, it's really not that much different from the original. So if you know if you're obsessive compulsive, you don't have to have the Bill and Ted version. Well, I mean, I guess if you're obsessive compulsive, you do. But if you're if you're not that obsessive compulsive, you can just have this version. It's fine. I of course have it because thank God for pawn shops. You know, you can go and buy an album for two dollars. So, BJ? Yeah, it's fine. I like it, but I think it should have just stayed a soundtrack song. I don't really see why they needed to put it on the record, and it's kind of filler and doesn't really fit very well on the album either. I mean, it, it would have been you know most Kiss fans already had it with the with the soundtrack it was on and could have just stayed that way. Chris Sinzak. This one means a lot to me. I I love this song. Um, as far as I, I kind of agree with BJ, it, it does kind of stick out like a sore thumb on the album because it doesn't really flow with the we're tough and we're going to kick your ass type vibe that they were going for. But at the same time, you know, I liked it when it when I first heard it on the soundtrack, and then but it really brought it home when the video came out. You know, the the video obviously having Eric Carr being his final appearance, it's special because of that, and then also. I was a teenager during this time, and you know I wasn't super big into the bootleg videos yet. So a lot of the footage on that video was the first time I had seen a lot of that stuff. And right. like Matt said, when the you know the logo lights up and everything, there's it's definitely an emotional thing if you're if you're a diehard fan and you're seeing that video. Um, so yeah, it's a, I think it's a great song. I, I I think it's one of the best anthems they've ever written. Um, and Mitch from Three Sides, you're you always mention how much you don't like this song. I think you're nuts for saying that. Absolutely. Gene had said, we liked the song and wanted to put it on our record because KISS fans would like the song, so why shouldn't they find it on a KISS album rather than another company's record? Paul was less enamored with the inclusion of the song on the Revenge album, commenting, it's not one of the strongest tracks on the album. It's a good track, but there's stuff on the album that leaves it in the dust. However, since the song had been a massive hit in Britain, it is likely that it was hoped that a second chance might also help the success of the album.
Okay, our next track is Domino. Gary, your thoughts on Domino? It's some of my favorite Kiss guitar playing uh, on record. That um, that finger picked bit at the beginning is you know bad and bad. Um, you know, I mean, yes, it sounds like ZZ Top. Uh-huh. Um, I don't really care. I think Kiss do what they do really well, even if it sounds like something someone else did before. Um, and there again, I guess the word is attitude. There's a lot of attitude in this song. Or balls. Balls. Or uh, Ball. or or all, as they balls, said, right? Balls, got to have balls. it all. Yeah. Yeah, got uh, to have it all. <laughs> sort of a silly video, right? Mm-hmm. Domino. Right. It's like what is it? Gene driving around in a car. Right. Yeah. But uh, you know, fun. I, I I really like Domino. I think it's I, once again, this is that Bruce Kulick guitar playing that um you know he came he i don't know everyone says he sort of came to light or came into his own uh on this record and i guess i guess i see that it's just, i always thought he was a great guitar player but man there was just something really classic kiss about how he plays on revenge well don't you think that has a lot to do with ezrin i mean prior to this nobody's really had the time to work with him like they should have i think it does have a lot to do with ezrin i think um I could imagine, and I've read things similar to this, I guess, I could imagine a situation in which you're making a record produced by Bob Ezrin and there's the the thought or maybe even the threat uh, that if you don't perform up to his standards, Dick, you'll Dick do... Dick Wagner will. <laughs> yeah. Or but something yeah. like that. But yeah, if Bruce you can't really shines on this album. We all agree oh, on that. Absolutely. Chris Sinzak. I'll be unpopular among a lot of fans with this one. This is not one of my favorite songs by the band, and I think this is an overrated track amongst the fan base. It's okay, but it's... I think, And I think Kiss themselves have wore... During the mid-90s, they really wore this song out. Like, every appearance you saw them on, they played this song. And it's a... I mean, it's an okay song, but I don't see it anything more than almost like a uh, ZZ Top sound-alike. I don't, I don't think it's that great of a song myself, but uh, that's just my opinion. Matt? I think it's a fun song when they do it live. I, I think you know i like the song i think in a way they're starting to get a little bit more into the territory the same way with um with take it off mm-hmm. depends how old you are because uh, now we're singing about a girl who's not old enough to vote she could be christine <laughs> 16 sister for all we know uh you know it's in the video it's fun gene's kind of driving around but he he's starting to look like a guy in a raincoat leering at these young girls and that's you know gets a little bit you know now you know look uh, you start to wonder uh you know they like they said they start out the tour looking for women they end up settling for girls but she sounds pretty young to me and uh, that's maybe not a good thing bj yeah i think the song is annoying and i think gene's persona <laughs> in the song is really annoying and yeah i'm not a huge fan of zz top like to me cheap sunglasses is one of the worst songs ever and this that seems to be kind of the vibe this song is going for i like this song more than cheap sunglasses i i think with different lyrics and without gene being quite so annoying i might like the song more but it just kind of annoys me and i never really want to listen to it Chris Karam. Well, I wanted to point out two things about this. One of them is that I think Kiss missed out on a major marketing opportunity with this song. Mm-hmm. Picture the video with Gene driving around going through the drive. I've got a man-sized appetite, and it's a big one. I'm calling Domino's! <laughs> I, and I thought that, like, when, when I first heard the song, when I first got the album, you know, that this they should have called Domino's Pizza and said, we got a song for you. And the other one being that what's really funny about this song is if you have, you, have any of you guys heard the radio edit of this? Yeah. Where, uh, yeah. Where he goes, girl bends over. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
And and the way he says girl, you can he sounds annoyed that he's got a he can't say bitch. Can we say can can we say bitch on the podcast? Mm-hmm. podcast sure. Ken? You just did. Hey, it's a lyric. But you know that and that was just like girl bends over and I forget my name. I like it. You know, it's I just think it's a fun song. I don't think it's and I it, I didn't really pick up on the ZZ Top thing until maybe like the last couple of years when someone referenced it as being that. But you know, it's it's just a fun song. It's just Gene, you know, being Gene. Well, I'm a picturing Gene in the Noid costume now. But you know what? You know what? They did. <laughs> that was the '80s. Why don't we have Kiss Dominoes, like the the game Dominoes that have the little oh dots? Each dot could be a different color makeup. It'd be just great. Gave another idea. <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll buy that. I'm old. <laughs> right. Yeah, and you know, if you can if you can knock Ace and Peter over, you you win the game. <laughs> Ouch. The video is kind of strange. First, we had Gene driving around L.A., which didn't Gene always brag about he wasn't able to drive back then? And the one thing that always was kind of weird was seeing Paul play bass in the video. Yeah, I remember that. I remember thinking, that's really odd. I don't know what, you know, it's weird seeing Paul with a Punisher. Right. Gene was driving around, so somebody had to play bass. Right. Doesn't it it seem like this song would be a great theme song for Family Jewels? Because it's just kind of Gene Simmons pretending to be Gene Simmons, which is what Family Jewels is, too. So, (laughs) Wow. Wow. Ouch. Oh, plus, also, wasn't a lot of the music lifted from a song you wrote with Black and Blue, I think? Yep, Nasty Nasty. Yeah. According to this, it just says Simmons wrote that. Oh, no, listen to the Black and Blue song. You'll hear exactly oh, where it came from. absolutely, and I'll play a little bit of that right now. Simmons of KISS. Keep listening to this station for KISS Confidential, the radio tapes. It's an exclusive one-hour program of great music and vintage live tracks from our new video, KISS Confidential, and our CD, KISS Alive 3. Don't miss it. to Lansdowne, Pennsylvania, and talk to John, a listener of Z95 there in Allentown. Hi, John. Hi there. What's, What's happening, brother? Um, I have two questions for you. Um, first one is, I'd like to ask you, um, how did the sound 
or now, now that you did one tour with Eric Singer, how did the sound of the band change in concert with uh, Eric Singer on drums instead of Eric Carr? Well, it's an interesting question, and uh, it's a loaded question, too, because, you know, um, we all have tremendous respect and, and great memories of Eric Carr. I don't think any of us would be here today without him, and he, he did a tremendous contribution for, you know, the 11 years he was in the band. Um, I think everybody would have to say, from the concert tour that we did and the clubs that we did, um, under the circumstances that Eric Singer came in under, I think he's been an absolute... Dynamo. I, I think the band really has never sounded better, and he's sitting across from me, and I, I know that right now he likes me even more. Uh -huh. He's blushing. Certainly, he is blushing. What's your next question, John? Um, I just want to, since you have all four members here, I wanted to ask each of you, what's your favorite Kiss song to do in concert? Mm -hmm. Okay, this is Eric. I'd have to say probably either Parasite or Watching You. Gene? Uh, favorite one. The only song I get, I get a chance to scream, uh, it's actually part of the lyric. Like that. Uh, deuce. All right. I really got off on, uh, this is Bruce. I got to say, I got off on the Star Spangled Banner, but that's not a Kiss song, so I will say I thought Unholy was very cool to do. It was a tough song to play live, and I think we did it. Great job on that Thank Star you. Spangled Banner. Yes, Thank sir, you. Mr. Stan. Love Gun, Love Gun, Love Gun. Right. Now and forever. Got to love Paul's favorite song. You got to love Love Gun. Thank you, John. Song? <laughs> My favorite, favorite songwriter. His favorite songwriter and his favorite vocalist. Well, we're going to wrap up our discussion of side one of Revenge, and we hope that you come back for side two of Revenge with the whole gang here. Thank you for listening. See you next time. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinny Vincent, Bruce Kulik, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podkist is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podkist is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podkist crew, Thank you for listening to Podkiss, the KISS fanzine for your ears. I'm telling you guys, I am <laughs> all messed up. This... KTEL presents the stupidest moments of Podkiss. There we go. Nice. Yep. I got a... Do it. I got a body built for sin and an appetite for passion. Michael Jackson sings the best of Kiss. Jumbo! I wanna rock and roll all night. That would be more like uh, Frankie Valley. Do you ever, four seasons. You, you ever hear the name Billy Sheehan and start singing the song in your head? Billy Jean? Billy Sheehan is a bass player. He's just a guy who plays the really bass bass. He is really great. Do <laughs> <laughs>
this and more on Michael Jackson Sings. KTEL Records presents Michael Jackson Singing Kiss, brought to you by Top Dog. Um, what is the name of this? There's a there's a there's a hot dog place, Yakos. Have you ever you you're from Pennsylvania? Okay. You ever go to Yakos? No. Uh, uh, I think it's like Y A Y O C C O apostrophe S, hot dogs, and it was like owned by a member of the Iacocca family, like Lee Iacocca. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yakos hot dogs, terrifying mascot with a little like icon of a hot dog with a crown and like a like a pitchfork. Really scary. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yakos. God gave rock and roll to everyone. Yes, to me. Check out these ads for the following shows. We're proud to call these guys the friends of the Podkiss Network. We are one. That's right, Kiss Army. We're having a rock and roll party, and you are invited. Tune into the Strange Ways Kiss Podcast and hang out with your Kiss Army brothers, Jody Havnock, Clinton Harris, and D Rock. Join us where we celebrate and discuss the gods of thunder. That's Strange Ways Kiss Podcast. You can find us on Facebook or Podomatic.com. We'll see you there. You wanted the best, you got the best. And if you want the hottest show on Monco Radio, Join us in the Kiss Room. The Kiss Room is a monthly radio broadcast celebrating the hottest band in the world. Kiss! It's your place for all things Kiss and some... For broadcast dates and all information, go to thekissroom.com. The Kiss Room broadcasts live and worldwide on Monco Radio, where music and minds meet. This is a really big moment. I am Cassius Morris, host of KISS podcast, Creatures of the Net. Our show content includes current events of the hottest band in the land, exclusive interviews, and the trials and tribulations of being a KISS fan. You can check out our show at www.creaturesofthenet.com and on Facebook or Twitter. And if you don't know the website name by now, well, you better f- on it. we'll see you here. History Science Theater, the most civilized. Yeah. Oh, f- Oh, f- <laughs> Come on. Respectful. Just imagine Gene with like, like a, with like a washtub bath. Boom, 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 boom. And serious. No, wait. Excuse me, Bob. You're going to come over and do my album. <laughs> Kiss Podcast on the web. History Science Theater. We bust balls because we care. You are listening to the Podkiss Network. <sighs> You're listening to Zilch, a monkey's podcast. That's right, gang. You requested it. Finally, a monthly monkey's podcast is coming your way. Follow us as we discuss the adventures of Mickey, Mike, Davey, and Peter. That's right, the monkeys. Take some time out of your busy day and monkey around with us. So join us on Zilch, the podcast full of monkeys. Doctors define modern rock disorder as a sudden, intense drop in musical taste affecting all facets of the victims' lives and the lives of those around them. Over 20 million Americans suffer. Do you? 
Is your newfound love of Axe Body Spray, leather wristbands, and mountains of hair care products driving those close to you crazy? Has your overwhelming desire to crank Nickelback, drink a sixer of Natty Ice, and yell at girls from the back of a pickup truck seriously impaired your work or social life? The Decibel Geek Podcast offers new hope. The Decibel Geek Podcast, the only podcast proven effective for MRD. The Decibel Geek Podcast corrects the chemical imbalance created by listening to bands like Theory of a Dead Man and Three Doors Down, so that with time and your hosts, Chris and Aaron's help, you can move toward recovery. MRD hurts. The Decibel Geek Podcast can help. Visit www.decibelgeek.com to begin the road to recovery. It's time for some cheap talk. You're listening to Trick Chat. Their mommy's all right. Their daddies are all right. They just seem a little weird. They even got their Kiss records out. This is Ken from the Podkiss. Join me, Matt, Andrew, and BJ as we talk about four great guys and three great chords. Cheap Trick. If you're a Kiss fan, chances are you've checked them out. So please check out our show, Cheap Talk with Trick Chat, available for now in the Podkiss feed. Keep cheap tricking. Someone, somewhere, is needing to hear from you. Someone needing to know that you care. Care enough to give the gift of Podkist. Tell a friend about Podkist today. Download us on iTunes, friend us on Facebook, and rock your ass out. Podkist. <laughs> 